Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. You know, every week it seems like things are happening that don't include common sense. But we're going to talk to someone who's uh, very commonsensical today. Um, You know, it's been several weeks since the train derailment that occurred in East Palestine, Ohio. And, uh, you know, finally all the media has gotten concerned about it. In the beginning, there was very little coverage of it. But uh, today we're going to find out what's the truth, sort out some of the facts from the fiction. Andrew Wheeler, a good friend, a former colleague, he worked on, we worked on a lot of great projects together, uh, lead being one of the big ones. And uh, prior to serving as the administrator for EPA, he was a deputy administrator also a variety of uh, senior staff roles in the Senate. And um, right now, I think it's serving uh, as the senior advisor for Governor Youngkin on environmental and natural resource issues. And, you know, his list of accomplishments is as long as your arm. Uh, but I got to point out the fact that he was also an Eagle Scout, uh, you know, an honor afforded to only about 4% of Scouts. So, you know, he's got a long list of achievements. So uh, welcome, Andrew, and thank you so much for your willingness to be with us today. Absolutely. And thank you for inviting me to be on on your podcast today. It's an honor. Well, you know, by now, everyone has heard about the uh, train derailment in East Palestine. And, you know, there's a lot of questions about the air quality, the water quality, all the things that are going on. But from your perspective, uh, what's your understanding of, of what actually happened to, to cause that accident? Well, and the, the cause, of course, is still under investigation, and the and the Railroad Safety Board put out preliminary findings this week. It, and it was it was interesting the the Biden White House blamed uh, a Trump um, deregulatory action on this, and that had to do with the brakes. 
And it's my understanding, though, and from what the, the safety board said this week, it had nothing to do with that regulation or the brakes. And I think even PolitiFax has said that that's not accurate. It appears to be having to do with a, with a bearing uh, on the on the train, and it overheated, and with the axle, and it, and it caused the the derailment. We have to wait for the final report to come out as far as what the cause was. The, the fact that this happened and that it, it immediately turned into an environmental problem. Right. And that's when my former agency, the EPA, would be on the ground. And, and they were. The EPA, the Career EPA Emergency Response Staff, were there immediately. Yes. And they, and they are um, actually, I, th I think, one of the un unsung heroes of the EPA. Um, when, when I was there, we, we responded to some sort of emergency response over 300 times a year. There's a couple of days where we didn't have anything, but there were multiple <laughs> days where we had multiple responses somewhere in the country. Think about anytime you hear about a truck overturning and spilling cargo or a rail accident, there's apparently a, a thousand rail derailments a year, um, a boating incident, um, anything having to do with any releases. The EPA's emergency response team is on the ground within hours. Well, the we EPA is, is, is really one of the un, unsung heroes because, you know, they are always there working in the background, you know, not mm -hmm. uh, not trying to flag down a lot of political attention, but uh, making a huge difference for the citizens of, of our country. You know? they, they really are. You know, we have a number of mobile units um, that, you know, sort of like mobile Homes or RVs that have been retrofitted with with um, air monitoring and water monitoring equipment that are deployed. We have um, the EPA has ten regions across the country and emergency response teams located in all ten regions, so the agency can be in an emergency again within hours. Well, this uh, this particular incident in East Palestine struck me as unusual uh, in the sense that. You know, they poured all these chemicals into a, a trough and and it exploded them. Is is that something that's done? <laughs> I'm not familiar with it's, that. That that is not usual. And Governor Dewine, I you know, made the decision in conjunction with the with the with um, federal federal agencies and the federal family. But um, I don't want to second guess that decision. But it is unusual, and it's my understanding they're going to be looking into that decision and the ramifications of that decision. Because you, you, had, you had the vinyl chloride that they exploded. They were concerned about the vinyl chloride, I believe, exploding on its own, getting into the water system. Um, there are other ways of collecting the chemical. You can, you can set up these collection, large collection bands in the in the waterway to collect the chemicals so I mean, there's there's multiple ways of addressing that so I, I I'm not gonna I don't have the information that the governor wine had when he made that decision and he's a he's a very um, conscientious man I've known him for a long time and so I, you know, I'm gonna uh, absolutely give him the benefit of the doubt there I know it's going to be looked at but we do that in every in every emergency response we always have a post-mortem to take a look to see what were the decisions made in the heat of the moment? What were the implications? What were the results? Well, what, know, are the, what, what are the EPA concerns in a situation like this? Is it just the air? Is it the water? Is it the land? Is it the fact that you may have 
chemicals or new chemicals that were formed because you mix chemicals together and, and did yes. an explosion. I mean, chemical reactions occur. What should we be concerned about? It, it is really all of the above. And, you know, I will say one of the problems at the agency, and I, and I tried hard to, to address this, is that the agency historically has been very siloed in the way we've looked at environmental problems. We've looked at the air problems, the water problems, the land and waste problems in different silos under different statutes. And it was the way the EPA was created. It was, you know, it was created under President Nixon, and they took authorities from several different other agencies, put them together, and you still had those lingering his historic silos that have impacted the agency over the years. When I was there, we did a major cross-entire-agency look at the PFAS issue. Mm -hmm. This is those those forever chemicals that are that are, think of Gore-Tex, think of Teflon. Um, we had every single agency in the every single office in the agency participate in that in that action plan, so that we looked at you know if we made this decision on addressing it in the water. What are the air ramifications? If we made this decision on the waste issues, what happens in the water? What happens in the air? Um, the agency is getting better at that. Uh, but in an incident like this, you do have to look at, you know, if you explode that, it, it, caused, it caused the cloud. Everybody saw the plume. Well, not everybody saw the plume because not all the media were covering it. They have since. Um, but there's you know very little media at the time. But it, it did cause a large plume. I saw some... Some preliminary NOAA data that showed the plume going up over the Northeast United States. Um, I haven't seen final information from NOAA about what that looks like and what the implications of that were. I do know that the, the EPA has, a, has an airplane that can fly over and detect air pollution as well as radiation pollution. And they, they actually, um, every year, they are deployed at the, um, the Super Bowl, for example, and other large events just to make sure that there's not any radioactivity as far as terrorism type incidents. They really have top line equipment yeah. and personnel. They can be looking at that, but they, the, the problems on the ground in, in East Palestine would be in particular the water table and the chemicals getting into the water, both surface water, the Ohio River. It's my understanding that they tracked the, the plume as it went down the Ohio River, and there's a mm -hmm. number of communities all across the entire Ohio Valley that draw their drinking water from the Ohio River and the tributaries. Um, but it also can get into the underground water, mm -hmm. and it, that can impact the water supply for that community, as well as any potential um, wells, if people have private wells on their property. I, 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 my house is in Alexandria, Virginia, and I have, uh, and I'm on a private well. I think a lot of people don't realize how private wells still are in this country. Absolutely. Um, but so you have to you have to be monitoring the water, both the surface water as well as the underground water. And the problem when you when you deal with an incident like this, because there were, as you said, multiple chemicals, those chemicals can have chemical reactions. Chemicals will migrate in the soil at different rates. Mm -hmm. So while the water testing today may show that the well is perfectly fine, it could become contaminated weeks or months from now. So there's going to have to be continual water monitoring until they're sure that the, the chemicals have either been diluted enough through the soil and it won't get into the water table or the water system, or that they've cleaned up the, the, the incident. And I know they're removing tons of soil from the area, and that will help ensure that the chemicals don't get into the groundwater. Well, what is your impression about 
the safety of transporting these chemicals, oil, various things by rail versus by pipeline. Because, uh, you know, the current administration argues that the pipelines are very dangerous to the environment. Well, they're not. Pipelines are actually um, safer and they have a safer track record. They move much more materials through a pipeline, hazardous materials, gasoline, oil, through pipelines than through rail cars or semi-trucks. Um, a pipeline is inherently safer. And you're, and you're right. This is, I think, a, a great example of the, the, the fallacy of the Biden administration. They don't have an energy policy. They have an environmental strategy that dictates their energy decisions, but they don't have an energy policy. They cancel the XL pipeline. They cancel right. the Dakota Access pipeline. Those pipelines could already have been shipping crude from a lot from Canada into the United States. Instead, those materials are coming by truck or by rail, and it's much more dangerous. They aren't looking at the the, the um, environmental impacts. That, you know, every, they're looking at everything in under the lens of climate change. And it's important to consider climate change. It's important to consider a greenhouse Absolutely. gases. But that's not the only environmental problem out there. And that's, you know, there's a problem in the Obama administration where they only focused on climate change. They didn't focus on making sure the rest of the agency ran um, the way it was supposed to and the programs and the emergency response programs. We cleaned up more Superfund sites in four years than the Obama administration did in eight years. Right. Um, and isn't it true... Or is it true, we've heard it said, that the air and the water were cleaner in the last uh, few years than ever, while yes. we were still extracting a lot of fossil fuels? We've learned how to utilize them, how to extract them, and how to transport them yes. in ways that are quite safe to the environment. And uh, it's the cleanest air and water that we've ever had. Is that true, or is that... Uh, Absolutely. Now, under the first three years of the Trump administration, and we didn't have the data from the fourth year by the time I left, but in the first three years of the Trump administration, we reduced air pollution 7%. Hmm. So when I left office, our air was actually 77% cleaner than it was in the 1970s. You know, I got attacked for cutting back regulations. We modernized regulations. And, you know, I think the proof is the fact that you know, we modernized regulations. We brought common sense. We made some changes that, that helped Americans across the board and our air and our water got cleaner exactly. under our watch. So, you know, the, these, you know, the, the Biden White House this week said it was because of the deregulatory efforts at EPA. There was not a single regulatory decision that we made at EPA that had a negative impact at East Palestine when the accident three weeks, not a single regulatory decision had a negative impact with the spill there or and, the cleanup. And I'm sure if if they had had a negative input, it would have been all over the news. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're accusing us, but they aren't pointing to anything. Right. You know, the, well, I shouldn't be surprised because New York Times is just, particularly on their environmental reporting, has just gone downhill over the last decade. Their lead-in paragraph the other day on a story on this was, you know, when former President Trump visited the site the, the day of or the day before, I forget which, about how he has a has a you know, an, an awkward history on this because of the regulatory decisions that his EPA made. 
But then you read the article, there was not a single regulatory decision, regulation, nothing they, they pointed to. They had that in the headline. They had that, you know, and the lead in for the story to get attention and to get, uh, you know, people to click on the article. But there was nothing in the article that said anything about any of our regulatory decisions. Exactly. There is not a single regulatory um, decision we made that had a negative impact in East Palestine. Well, you know, the narrative is painted that uh, conservatives don't care about the environment. Obviously, that's not the case. And you know, when you were running EPA and uh, a couple of years before that, there was a lot of attention to the environment, but it was done in a logical fashion. And and when you when you stop and think about energy and the environment, is it desirable to have uh, green renewable energy? Absolutely, it's desirable. Yes, but the way you get there is not to stifle the resources that you have with fossil fuels. It's to use those as the bridge to get to where you want to go, rather than creating a giant gulf that you now have to transverse, which takes even longer to get to your goal. And I don't think people actually uh, put their brain into gear and think about these things that just are driven by ideology, and uh, you know they don't care about the consequences. So. You're you're absolutely right, and I and we need renewable energy. We need wind. We need solar. We need EV batteries. Year before last, I wrote a paper, though, for Heritage, where I, I, I took a look at the waste disposal issues for all three of those. There's a negative impact for every energy source. Yeah. And we have a habit, the press, the activists in particular, have a habit of just saying we have to go with wind and solar and get rid of all fossil fuels. Fossil fuels are an important bridge, and eventually our society will be will have a much cleaner energy supply. But we have to also recognize that the um, the solar panels are they use hazardous materials to create the solar panels, and you have hazardous waste when you dispose of them. The windmills, I mean, they're they're huge. You have waste disposal issues. You have transportation. Each wind blade has to be cut into thirds and shipped for disposal and shipped on three different semi trucks. You can't even put one blade on one truck. It'd be so nice when we learn how to sit down together and uh, talk about our mutual goals and philosophies rather than pointing fingers at each other and throwing hand grenades and not making any progress <laughs> and just lurching from left to right. It's so crazy. Absolutely. And it's, you know, the only energy source I can't figure out a negative implication for is geothermal. Uh, but I think if maybe geothermal would deploy more, we might there might be some negative consequences. Yeah. I, I don't know. You know, as a country, as a society, there are trade-offs in every decision made. And we need to understand those trade-offs. We need to have more transparency. You know, one of the things that I did at EPA, we had over 13,000 guidance documents. You had to go to the EPA building and go through our file cabinets to read our guidance documents. We reviewed all of them. We eliminated 3,000. Some of those were dating back to the 1970s, 1980s. We ended up with 10,000 guidance documents and we put them on a searchable database. So anyone in the country, in the world actually, could go to our database and search for the topic that they wanted and see what the guidance documents were at EPA. I'm a big believer in transparency and we yeah. have to have transparency. And I, and I think the more light you shine on regulatory decisions and how regulatory decisions are made, the better accepting, the better understood those regulatory decisions will be. 
right? Yeah, I'm I'm all for putting the the science out there that we use to make those decisions, to then put out the regulations, to put out the guidance documents for everybody to see and read. And and I really do believe I I, I cut my t- I started my career at EPA in 1991, working in the chemicals office mm. on community right to know. So I cut my teeth on community right to know. It was an instrumental law that was passed. And I, I firmly believe that every community has the right to know about the environmental, all regulatory issues surrounding them, but then particularly as an environmental attorney, the environmental um, issues in their communities. So the people in East Palestine, they absolutely have a, have a right to know about the decisions that are being made that impact them, the decisions that were made immediately following what caused the train derailment immediately following the train derailment? And then what are the long-term consequences that they need to be aware of? We need to be upfront with them. We need to explain to them. One of the things I also did at EPA, I hired for the first time a a risk communication specialist to work in the administrator's office. Absolutely. uh, To work on how we communicate to people what are the risks that they face. Because you can read a, a very misleading newspaper headline or an article or, or a piece from a, from an advocate on one side or the other and not really understand what is the risk to my health, to my family's health, to my children's health. And we have to explain that. And you, all the work that you've done with children over the years, I mean, right. you know, parents need to understand what are the risks. I mean, I, I'm sure you would not go into a surgery without explaining to the parents you know, what are the risks of the surgery? You know, what's what what might be the possible outcomes? We have to be much more upfront with American public as far as the risks that they face on environmental issues and the risks that we are trying to address when we clean up an environmental catastrophe, which is what we have here. Well, absolutely. And in, in working with you, it was very clear that you had a great depth of knowledge about that and a tremendous amount of concern about the environment. Anybody who says conservatives don't care about environment, they should go back and look at your record. And I think that will assuage those doubts very quickly. Uh, We'll be right back. Stay with us with uh, Andrew Willey. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with our fascinating guest, former EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler. 
we've been talking about what was going on in East Palestine, Ohio, you know, uh, even as the authorities are telling residents that uh, it's safe to return, you know, you have residents experiencing respiratory problems and rashes, pets and animals are sick and are dying, aquatic life is being found dead, thousands of fish. Is all that consistent with everything being okay? Well, we don't know if everything is okay yet. That's why they have to continue to do the testing and the monitoring. And that they should be testing and monitoring not just for weeks, but for months. When you have a spill of this magnitude of, the, of these toxic chemicals, you are going to have particularly fish kills and marine life. That is what happens. So that's not out of the ordinary. You know, I've read news reports of people who live there and reporters who have gone there that talk about sore throat and hard to breathe uh, just being there. And they're concerned about the, the air, whether or not the air actually is clean or safe, not clean, whether or not the air is safe. And there has to be air monitoring. Yeah. And, and the EPA does do a, has a, a lot of equipment and does do a good job of monitoring air quality. But that has to be continued as well. You know, as I said, some of these chemicals, could, there could be additional reactions. Somebody asked me the other day, would I drink the water? And I would certainly drink the water based upon the EPA and the Ohio EPA's tests for those wells or the drinking system that have been tested for a period of time. But I would want it to be retested before I drink it long term. So those those yeah. tests have to continue. And people should be on bottled water if their water hasn't been tested, particularly if they have personal or private wells. Well, on, on February the 21st, the, the EPA moved from its emergency phase to the remediation phase, ordering Norfolk Southern to identify and clean up contaminated soil and water, reimburse the EPA for cleaning residencies and businesses, attend public meetings, and take other measures. If the company fails to complete the actions, Norfolk Southern will be build triple the cost of the work. Can the EPA enforce that? Yes, they can. EPA has very broad enforcement authorities, particularly in an emergency situation like this. That order is not unusual. Under both our RICRA and our Superfund programs, RICRA is, a, is basically waste management law, the waste management law. The agency does have pretty broad authorities. Well, and, you know, the administration has been relatively slow in responding, <laughs> which, uh, you know, combined with the skepticism that already exists about the government after the COVID crisis, makes things pretty difficult. But FEMA denied requests for help in the beginning, saying the disaster is ineligible. However, that prompted a letter from the entire Ohio delegation urging FEMA to provide assistance. And the next day, FEMA announced that it would supplement federal efforts. And I think that kind of shows people that you don't have to just accept stuff. Get involved. Get your legislators involved. Get the people who represent. That's what we have. We have a republic. We have representatives who represent, you know, our concerns. And even though, you know, there's been reasonable responses by the government. Government also has to recognize that when people see 
dead animals and rushes and all kinds of things, they're not going to be particularly comfortable. And you have to deal with the perceptions that people have, as well as with the data that you have. And like you say, the data can change. And I think people understand that. And, you know, they're interested in what's going to happen long term. Now, interestingly enough, I was looking at the comments of the of the mayor of the city of East Palestine. Uh, he was pretty heated when he found out that the president was in Ukraine <laughs> giving away hundreds of millions of dollars and really hadn't addressed what was going on there. As a, a former uh, government official at the federal level, what do you think about the response of the president in a situation like this? Well, you know, they, they say, you know, half of a response is showing up and they just did not show up. And I, I was struck by the, the mayor saying that after a week had gone by, he had not heard from the White House at all. There are a lot of forgotten communities around this country. And, you know, I'm from Ohio. I know I would have been there within a few days. You know, you certainly don't want to show up the day of or the day after in, as, a, as a cabinet level person because it takes people away from perhaps cleaning up and the emergency response. Um, and my successor, Mr. DeRegan, was the first official to visit, visit the city, and I applaud him for doing that. I was surprised, I have to admit, at how long it took the Secretary of Transportation, Secretary Buttigieg, to show up. And I think it took... Although he did apologize. He did say, I felt really bad and I should have done better. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's had, and I I don't know him, but he has had quite a few problems within his agencies. And to me, he seems to be focused more on social engineering than on how his agencies are actually operating. And to be honest, I think that's there was certainly a problem with the Obama administration, where they focused on these big picture issues instead of diving down and working with the inner workings of their departments and agencies. Yeah. You know, I, I worked on a lot of programs that don't get much attention, that, don't, that aren't in the headlines, to make sure that things were running properly. And that's what you have to do as a manager. You can't just be out there making press statements and press conferences and biking to work, you have to actually make sure that the FAA, the, the the rail safety office, you have to make sure that each of the offices within your department are functioning at the top of their game and are doing and are doing their jobs. Absolutely. And I just haven't really seen that from this administration. Right. Now, as uh, really a, a very long-term environmentalist yourself, what's your impression of the Green New Deal? Oh, the Green New Deal, and it's, and of course the Biden administration is not calling it that. They, you know, they, it's it's their right. um, change the name. They, they, yes, exactly. The Green New Deal got such a bad bad rep that they, they've changed the name, but it's still out there, and it's it's a waste of money in, in in large part. It is about social reengineering. It is about changing the way things operate without thinking through. You mentioned on the on the renewables. I absolutely am a fan of renewable energy. I when I was in private practice, everybody wants to all my detractors point to the fact that I represented a coal company. Mm-hmm. I actually had twenty five different clients. One of them was a solar company. You know, I, I I'm a fan of of renewables, but you can't go too far too fast. Right. The EV 
you know, the state of California is saying 100 percent EVs by 2035, I believe right. that, that just can't that can't happen. We you don't have the rare earth minerals to go into the batteries. <laughs> They're going too far too fast. And I think part of this is the people who are making these decisions, this current administration, the governor of California, they know they won't be around when the bill comes due. Right. They will be out of office and they won't be responsible for the chain of events that they have set in motion. We have to have a much better dialogue and we have to have more discussions, better planning across the board between both parties, between the federal government and the states on what we do as far as energy and, and the impact the energy has on the environment. But you're, you're absolutely right. I am an environmentalist. I, I'm an Eagle Scout, as you mentioned at the beginning. I still go hiking and camping. I, I would never do anything that is detrimental to the environment, and I haven't. Yeah. And we need to recognize that. I had um, my portrait unveiling at EPA headquarters last month, actually, actually in December. And in my remarks, I mentioned, and Mr. DeRegan was in the room, I mentioned that um, there's more that we have in common and we agree on than what divides us. But the press and the advocacy groups on both sides focus on that small amount and they blow it way out of proportion. And we could have much better policies if we were willing to sit down and talk to each other. Absolutely. Talking to the CEO of uh, one of the uh, major trucking organizations in our country about the California mandate for 2035 and all EV vehicles. Yes. And of course, he pointing out many reasons why this would not be possible, but that they still have to start putting into motion things that they know will never come to be and things that don't work. <laughs> and wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be better to actually just sit down together and discuss what is practical, what isn't practical, what can work? How can we accelerate things? How can we take care of the ramifications of getting rid of the batteries? Where, where, do, you, where do you put those used batteries? And it's like... They just make these declarations without thinking about the implications and without talking to the people who have to actually carry these things out. And Absolutely. You know, and it's and if we're not going to manufacturing and energy, if we're if we're not doing it here in the United States, it is farmed out to other countries. And we have the best environmental regulations. We set the gold standard internationally for environmental regulations, environmental policy. I went to a phosphorus mine in Florida when I was EPA administrator, largest phosphorus mine. I think it's, the, it's either the last or only one of two in the United States. We get a lot of our phosphorus, which is important for fertilizer. During the, the Obama administration, they were almost shut down. We worked with them to make sure that they were in compliance. And when I was touring the, the facility and I saw everything that they do, I asked them, who are your competitors? And they said their biggest competitor was a company in Morocco. Hmm. And I asked them, well, what do they do on as far as environmental protection and their environmental remediation? And they told me that they actually just dump their waste in the Atlantic Ocean. So if we're going to close down yeah. our phosphorus mine here in the United States under you know, because of potential environmental concerns, when it's operating at a very, you know, it's very clean and they have they have a great track record on remediation. We will be importing phosphorus from Morocco, where they are just dumping their waste in the ocean. 
I mean, it, yeah. it's you have to have you have to look at the, what the trade offs are. You have to look to see what are the implications if we don't have that production here in the United States. Yeah. What are the environmental implications? Speaking of dumping in the ocean, of people living on the streets, defecating on the streets, washing all this stuff into the sewer system. I mean, is is the environment just so big that that doesn't have an impact or should we be worried about some of that? Oh, it absolutely has an impact. And it's a problem in California, in, in several cities with the homeless. I actually sent a couple of staff to Los Angeles to take a look at the implications of, of the homeless problems and the, and the waste that's just being washed out into the ocean. You had surfers in Malibu that were getting sick from the water because of the waste that was being dumped into the ocean. Mm. In San Francisco, this is much bigger than just the homeless issue and the, and the waste being dumped in. The city of San Francisco has been dumping raw sewage into the San Francisco Bay for years. We tried to order to get it cleaned up. And, you know, we sent the request for enforcement action over to the Department of Justice near the end of our administration. And the Department of Justice wanted to wait for the state of California because they wanted to take the enforcement action with the state. And to my knowledge, I've been watching the press and nothing has happened in the last two years. San Francisco is still dumping raw sewage into the San Francisco Bay. Yeah. You know, at the one hand, they talk about how green they are and the governor of California about, well, we're going to get rid of all the cars. We're going to have no fossil fuels in the state of California. But, you know, he's focusing on these big issue areas. But same thing with what I see in some of the agencies today. They aren't managing the day-to-day -day operations that impact people's lives every single day. Again, lack of perspective, lack of common sense, lack of conversation. Yes. With all the people who are involved. These things could make such a huge difference. And we'll be right back with our final segment with Andrew Willard, former EPA administrator. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, and we are back with our fascinating guest, Andrew Will, a former administrator for the EPA, a long-term advocate for the environment, and a patriotic American. And we're so grateful that you were with us uh, today, Andrew. Now, I got uh, one final question for you. You've been able to observe a lot over the years, 
You're able to see what's going on now. You're able to see uh, all these people arguing about, you know, whether the environment is, is getting worse. Do we have global warming? Do we have global cooling? Do we have just environmental change? How would you assuage the concerns of people? What would you recommend the path forward should be? I would recommend two things. The first I, I touched on earlier, and that is transparency. And that is putting all the information out there, having a discussion, not an argument, but a discussion on the implications of decisions to make sure that when people are impacted by an environmental event in their communities, this is so much of this is at the community level. And that's where people get upset is when they see something happening in their neighborhoods, in their towns. We have to make sure that we have a dialogue and that people have information and they have the decision makers are treating everyone with respect and giving them the information that they need. Every parent wants to make sure that their child is protected. And we need to make sure that we're giving that information to every parent, every person in the country. The second, and I, and I touched on this a little bit earlier, is historically we've looked at environmental issues in a very siloed fashion, just looking at the water issues or the air issues or the waste issues or the chemical issues. I gave a speech at the Nixon Library in recognition of the 50th anniversary of EPA. And I talked in that speech about the need to take a look at how all the environmental issues impact and how we make decisions. And an issue that I, I see, and I think a lot of people, particularly who live in the suburbs or the cities, are concerned about is the encroachment of growth outside of the cities into, into the suburbs. And you see this farmland being converted into industrial land. And that's happening because... We're not redeveloping our brownfields areas or our Superfund sites. And I understand this. If you were a businessman and you're trying to make a decision, do I want to put a new manufacturing plant at the site of an old plant? Or do I want to go out and put it where, you know, farmland? They're going to go with the farmland because they're concerned about the environmental responsibilities that they would have for the pollution from previous landowners. You know, if you buy a piece of property and it used to be a foundry or it used to be an oil refinery, you're responsible for whatever environmental pollution is at that site. So there's, there's no incentive for people to step in and clean up these sites absent some funding from the EPA or from HUD or from, from other governmental bodies. And we have to incentivize people to redevelop. And I think that also help our inner cities. You know, I'm, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm from Ohio. I'm from Butler County on the other side of the state from East Palestine. But, you know, the county seat, Hamilton, Ohio, you drive down that main street. There used to be a Fisher body plant from General Motors, the Mosler Safe Company, a number of different paper mills. Those are all gone. And it's for the most part used car lots. And you drive out right outside the city limits and it used to be farmland and you have all these warehouse type buildings with different industries in them now where they're manufacturing goods. Right. It would have been so much better for jobs in this city, tax base inside the city to have those businesses clean up those sites without having all of the liability that you would inherit by purchasing property and keeping those jobs in the cities. And it would just be helpful. When I worked in this in the Senate and I, and I met with the woman by, by phone, it was um, the former mayor of Benton Harbor, Michigan. Her name is Emma Hall. Hopefully she's still with us. I think she's up in her 80s now. She testified before the committee where I worked in the late 90s. 
And she said, on the one hand, EPA is coming in and telling me I have these brownfields areas that should be redeveloped for our tax base. We've been hemorrhaging jobs, hemorrhaging people from our community. On the other hand, the EPA air office is coming in and saying you're in non-attainment and you can't have any new industry in your town. <laughs> she literally held up her arms and said, what am I supposed to do? We have to make sure that all of our laws are functioning together to make sure that we're providing the best opportunities for Americans everywhere they live. And I just see this as a real problem in our cities in particular, that we have driven businesses out of the cities, the job bases out of the cities, and we end up having generations of people who are dependent upon government for living. And we disincentivize businesses. We disincentivize investments in these communities. And that is, I think, a real problem both for the jobs and for inner cities, but also for the environment when you look at where the businesses are going. Amen. Well, you have brought us a good word, sir. <laughs> I appreciate thank it. You. I have a feeling that we haven't heard the last from you. And we want to thank <laughs> you for just being such a patriot and uh, someone who is willing to sacrifice on their own for the good of the country. Thanks. For well, being thank you, here. sir. And you certainly have sacrificed more than anyone else. I And I appreciate what you have done for our country, not just when you were at HUD, but for your overall message and your message of hope that you delivered to so many people. Um, right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And we'll be right back with my prescription for the week. Stay with us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. enjoyed that uh, podcast with a uh, former EPA administrator. You know, it's very timely for things that are going on, not only in East Palestine, Ohio, but throughout the nation. And we all have to start thinking about what do you do if something happens in your environment? Are you prepared for that? And I want you to spend some time not only thinking about that, but preparing yourself. And that's the prescription for the week. Be prepared for an emergency. Think about the things that could happen. And what will you need to have available to you? Have an emergency kit. Put aside some water, some food, some critical medicines, 
bandages, flashlight, energy supply, all those things that you're going to need if there is an emergency. And there could be. Believe me, when you look at all the people who are coming through our southern border right now, some of whom could be terrorists, and why wouldn't some of them be terrorists, who've had plenty of time to set things up in this country, I'm just saying you need to be prepared. Make that your goal. Make sure you have a family plan. Tell people, in case something happens, where are we going to meet together? Make sure particularly the the young people understand uh, where you're going to meet and what your contingencies are going to be. And that's it for this week. Make sure you tune in to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episodes. Review us, rate us, tell your friends and family about us. And remember those cornerstone principles that are so important to us as a nation. Faith, liberty, community, and life. We'll see you next week.